Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Radio Free Acton, the official podcast of the Acton Institute dedicated to the study of religion and liberty. I'm your host, Caroline Roberts, and on today's episode, we'll first be featuring our next RFA Reports segment, the second part in a series on the benefits of direct primary care. In these segments, Anne-Marie Schieber-Dykstra, an award-winning reporter and news anchor, talks with both experts and patients on how Christian healthcare centers are better serving patients' needs. Then, on Upstream, where we talk all things culture, host Bruce Edward Walker speaks with Micah Watson, a political science professor at Calvin College, on the newest film in the Marvel franchise, Avengers Infinity War. So, without further ado, let's first hear from Anne. People are attracted to us because we're affordable, but also because we represent an opportunity for them to receive the type of care that they've not even known that they needed. Imagine if you opened up a healthcare practice and told patients they could come in as often as they wanted for 80 bucks a month. You might expect them to come flocking in for every ailment under the sun. It is a financial risk, but one direct primary care practices are willing to assume. Nothing like this ever gets started without a lot of sacrifice. Christian Healthcare Centers is a direct primary care practice that opened nine months ago. It is now one of nearly 800 such practices in the U.S. Its founders are confident in success because its mission is not just to treat the body, but the mind and the soul. Spiritual wellness is a very important part of overall wellness. In fact, I'd argue it's the foundation of, of overall wellness. Spiritual wellness, that is the secret sauce of how direct primary care can provide unlimited primary care for a flat fee. My name is Dr. Jeff Wu. My name's Mark Blocker. For a physical exam, a first encounter with a patient, we schedule 90 minutes. It allows us to really know that patient. It is outstanding that my patients here expect me to pray with them. My patients here expect me to be very intimate. Under the conventional healthcare model in which insurance companies reimburse doctors for visits, doctors have little time for intimate discussions with patients, let alone pray. In the conventional model, much of a doctor's time is spent coding, filing claims, and... Metrics. It's like a carrot dangling in front of doctors, chasing after different measurements. That's Dr. Rebecca Heisen. She's a pediatrician here at Christian Healthcare Centers. It gets really exhausting, and and the patient's not thinking that you're thinking about what metrics the insurance company wants. They're expecting you're just thinking about what they need. Dr. Heisen left the conventional model because she came to believe there is more to patient care than addressing physical needs, especially with children. We spend a lot of time talking about discipline and training and trying to step back and getting a game plan for the the big picture. They're so sweet with her. She was hiding in one of the cupboards. Lee Bradley has been bringing her two-year-old daughter to the practice since it opened. They were like, it's okay, she can hang out in there while we talk. And where I felt like in other places, they were judging her because of her behavioral stuff. Her daughter has developmental disabilities. And in the conventional system, she felt like they were constantly sending her for tests. Here, the experience has been different. Nothing was an emergency. It was very peaceful experience. They were evaluating her, not what I was saying. So they didn't just take what I said and made a recommendation. They were, they actually interacted with her. 
It is not just on insurance paperwork where direct primary care doctors buy time to spend with their patients. Because we're not dependent on insurance payments. We don't need people to bring, to come into the clinic for us to get paid. So I end up dealing with a lot of stuff um, just by talking to parents, by them sending me a video like of their child breathing or sending me pictures of their child's rash. And so an interesting thing has been happening now that these doctors are spending more time with the patients who need to come in. Mark Blocker. Uh, What we didn't expect, I guess we did expect it, but not to the degree that we've experienced it, is the spiritual care, the people coming in with children who are suicidal ideation, people coming in with addictions to pornography, marriages that are on the rocks, um, Christian, professing Christian people coming in with opioid addictions. Big problems that were overlooked in conventional healthcare models. The dis-ease of our hearts leads to disease. Lisa Bowman is a mental health counselor at the center and one of the busiest people here. We live in a broken world, a lot of hurting people. Um, People don't want to go to counseling. Something forces them um, to say, I can't can't do things the way I'm doing them anymore, either internally or, or people say you need to go. If she's in the office, I can literally just walk my patient from my exam room down to her office and slide her into that office for at the very least a meet and greet where they, they can become acquainted with one another. That's Dr. Jeff Wu again. Well, we've known for decades that the number one underdiagnosed and undertreated disorder in the United States is depression. I, this is beautiful because um, there's just continuity. And I wonder if they, doctor hadn't asked the questions to understand the whole body, body, soul, and spirit. You can't connect, you can't disconnect them. Treating patients in a different way to reduce demand for service. It must be working because fewer than 1% of members at Christian healthcare centers have quit and the waiting room is pretty empty. Mark Blocker got a sense of the need for spiritual care when he ran an inner city health clinic for the poor. I, you know, I kept making the case that the church needed to get back on the forefront of healthcare, and not just in doing what we traditionally think of as medical missions, where, you know, if people give enough money, we can provide healthcare to people who can't afford it, but we also needed to be on the forefront of healthcare in what I'd call the mainstream of medicine, where we're taking care of the members of the body of Christ. When Dr. Wu asks his patients to define their quality of life... It usually boils down to two things. For people who are religious, who uh, have faith-based lives, it's God and family. But for people who are secularists, it still boils down to family or the things or the individuals that they love. Several studies, one of them just done by Harvard, that says 87%, think about this, 87% of the people that were surveyed in this particular uh, poll said that they want spiritual care as part of their health care experience. Without conventional restraints, direct primary care is positioning itself to respond. In nine months, the enrollment at Christian healthcare centers has grown to 1,100 members, and there are plans to expand around the U.S. For Radio Free Acton, this is Anne-Marie Schieber-Dykstra. Is there a moral argument for free trade? 
Join us for the next Acton On Tap event at the Knickerbocker in Grand Rapids on May 29th to hear Hillsdale College professor Michael Clark speak about the common misconceptions of trade deficits. You can register for this event at acton.org events. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. Hello and welcome to Upstream. I'm your host, Bruce Edward Walker, and this week we're going to be talking about the $300 million mega blockbuster... Avengers Infinity War. Avengers Infinity War, and here I have in the studio with me is Micah Watson from Calvin College. He's a professor of political science, and let's get started. I I, I have to... uh, tell you that I'm not a huge fan of superhero movies. I, I consider them a, a nice way to pass the time and eat a lot of popcorn. These movies are three hours long for the most part, two and a half hours long. They're very, very long. And if you don't watch all of them in sequence, you can find yourself really super confused. So Mike, tell me, you're more or less a, a fan of, of this genre of film. Yeah, I, I do like these films. Um, I, I think one would be mistaken to think of them as high art. Um, they're not highbrow films. Uh, if you don't like them, um, you know, chances are you probably shouldn't see all 19 before you come and see the Avengers. Uh, if you do want to keep track of what's going on, I mean, you wouldn't go into the middle of a season of Breaking Bad and expect to know what's happening. So, uh, yeah, I I think that they are, um, I mean, I don't mind popcorn. Uh, I like popcorn. I think some middle brow entertainment is okay. I guess I would defend... The, uh, the importance of these talking about them insofar as any culture's popular entertainment is going to have a huge impact um, in terms of people watching it, talking about it. Um, and I think these movies have some themes that are worth talking about. Uh, there are some virtues that are displayed. There are some vices. These are the heroes and villains that our society's kids will grow up pretending to be and, and pretending to fight against. Uh, if I could go highbrow for a minute, I'd say... You know, we, we have a pretty high authority ta- telling us that the stories a culture tells are supremely important. That's Plato and his Republic, and to the fact that he wants to re-engineer all the stories that are told and thinks that's really important. So I think we do well to pay attention to uh, things like the Avengers, the Marvel Universe, the other comic book stories out there, um, and see what they're teaching our kids. And when it comes to the Avengers, I don't, again, I don't think it's high art. I don't think it's up there with, in terms of popular culture, Lord of the Rings, perhaps, but... I think they're pretty salutary. I think they're entertaining, and I do think they impart some good lessons for us. Having having listened to you say that and not being a particular fan of comic books, I, I didn't read them as a child. Uh, I love the movies. They're, they're a lot of fun. They, they really are. As far as instilling or relating those principles and qualities that, that humans should emulate, it's, it's kind of hard to do that when they keep heaping superpowers upon superpowers and they become less human as you roll along. You have a demigod, you have a Spider-Man, you have an Iron Man, you have a Hulk who is no longer a Hulk but a giant Iron Man. Yeah, so 
we're, we're getting this particular episode midstream, right? So this is the first of two. And I, I, I wonder if in this movie, um, the first installment uh, of Infinity Wars, if that's actually part of the point. We've had such a buildup of different characters who either get bit by a radioactive spider or they have incredible, incredible technology. In the case of Iron Man, the first Marvel uh, character that we really get movies about, um, an over-reliance on technology, an over-reliance on th- these different attributes and and people from outer space, the Norse gods. We get Wakanda, a whole country that's super tech. And yet, uh, without giving away too much of what happens in this movie, we really see some of the limitations of those amping up of superpowers to the point where maybe they're not enough. They're not effective enough. And that might actually be part of what happens next uh, in the next movie. Maybe that's the lesson of the Marvel Universe is that these superpowers themselves, which we admire so much, uh, maybe aren't what we should be looking for. Okay, well, let's let's look at uh, the behavior that young children or even young adults would emulate from these characters because there seems to be a lot of vanity, uh, a lot of unvirtuous behavior un- until you get to you know, Captain America who is, you know, the guy will barely cuss. And when he does right. cuss, they, they, they just rib him mercilessly about it for the remainder of the film. Yeah, I think he actually he, – he chides someone for using language, and they think that's so Boy Scouty. Uh, what's he doing? Yeah, so don't hear me claiming that the, the Avengers of the Marvel Universe is the paragon of, of virtue. I'd rather talk about Lord of the Rings and the Hobbits for that, right, these regular modest creatures. But but I do think there are some good lessons. If we, if we look at the two primary characters, I think it's Iron Man and Captain America. I mean, there's a lot – there's a, just an incredible amount of characters, almost too many. You can hardly keep track. Yeah, there's there's actually a scene where Spider-Man is uh, telling everybody what he's doing, and he said, "Well, forgive me if I can't remember all your names." <laughs> yeah, it's a little self-parody. Well, well, Spider-Man's a good uh, a good mention. One of the lessons of Spider-Man is, with great power comes great responsibility. It's a good lesson um, for anybody. Uh, but with with Iron Man, it's almost a lesson in hubris. Uh, many of the plots of the previous Avenger movies come about because of uh, Stark's. One is history in selling weapons and sometimes an unscrupulous way, his overconfidence in technology. He's a playboy in terms of his personal life, and we see a little bit of hints of what that means for his relationship with Gwyneth Paltrow's character. Uh, Pepper Potts. Yeah, Pepper Potts. And, and I think um, the second Avengers movie, the whole plot comes around based on his own hubris uh, in terms of trying to solve the world's problems once and for all through technology. And that actually plants the seed that leads to the problem that they have to solve in that movie. So we get a bit of a example by a negative example with Tony Stark, with Captain America, Steve Rogers. Um, the whole point of that first movie is that it's his character that matters first, right? He's a weakling. He jumps on the grenade even though no one else does, and, and it's because he has good character, according to the uh, the, the main doctor's um, little monologue, is that, that he's chosen to be the super soldier. Not The super soldier part is in addition to his character. Now, that doesn't always come through. We love the explosions. We love the gadgets. We love the, the powers. But I do think there's a kernel in there of the idea that it's actually what character matters. And, and then thinking about it, um, you know, Steve Rogers, Captain America, has this one great line. Uh, I think it's uh, Black Widow is telling him, don't go down and fight Loki. Those guys are like gods. And his response is, uh, there's only one god, ma'am, and I don't think he dresses like that. So we even get a little bit of monotheism uh, there yes. from, from Captain yes. America. How would you rate these movies, the current Infinity War, with uh, the previous installments in the the Marvel Universe list of films? Because it seems like one comes out every three months. Yeah, you can almost get a little bit of exhaustion from that. Uh, My daughters are enormous fans, and they keep track of all these things, so I don't have to, per se. Uh, I almost think it breaks the scale 
I'm not sure there's a common scale with which to, to uh, rate this one compared to the others because it's so dependent on the puzzle pieces that have been put together by the previous um, movies. I do think as in terms of a spectacle, just the enjoying the, the, the different sets and the action, and the, I think it's um, the most enjoyable, the biggest spectacle. Some of the themes are rather heavier than other uh, installments. Um, Thanos is represents death in many ways. Right. Uh, that's uh, Now, again, it's, it is sort of a pop culture, popcorn movie, but that's a serious thing to be dealing with there, and I think that comes out in the film. And there's some, there's some pretty serious deaths that happen in this, and I, I won't uh, go total spoiler sure. on this, but uh, while one will assume that they bite the dust because – this being the Marvel Universe, it's sort of like uh, the old Star Trek series, and we talked right. about this earlier, where, oh, Kirk is dead. Oh, not really. Uh, Spock is dead. No, not really. Oh, now whose turn? Oh, uh, Scotty is dead. Oh, nope, now it's Dr. McCoy, and they all keep coming back. No, that's right, and, and it will be interesting to see how they handle that. It, I, it would almost feel a little cheap if they can just reverse all those things. It would it would drain this movie of, I think it's... Uh, gravity. Yeah, it was gravity and some of the choices that were made. Um, so I guess that remains to be seen. Yeah. But but you do rate this quite highly because the, the, the setup for this film, even though this is a two-parter and the second installment will be a year from now, the, the seeds for this was were sprinkled in uh, The Age of Ultron and, Civil uh, War. and Captain America Civil War. And where it turns out that uh, the Infinity Stones that everybody seems to be chasing is if you have enough of them, then you it, it's like having the pie pieces in Trivial Pursuit. Yeah, right. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's a good you analogy. Win. Yeah. Well, one of the problems you have with a universe with 20 movies or plus uh, is how do you get interesting bad guys? Something like the James Bond franchise. How, you know, how many more villains can we have? We want to destroy the world. And it's running the same thing with the Marvel universe. And so I think what they have done a decent job of, uh, not every villain in every Marvel movie has been compelling, but this is the one that says this seems to be the ultimate villain, someone who is aspiring to collect these Infinity Stones, whereby he will, in effect, be God. And in fact, this isn't too much of a spoiler to point. The opening scene is exp- almost ex- explicitly theological. Loki says to him, you're, you'll never be a god. And then he says, uh, you know, destiny is coming, you can run from it, this sort of thing. And he says, well, actually, it's already here. And he says, and I am is how he concludes that, which if you're familiar with the biblical tradition, I am has a certain resonance to it. So Mm -hmm. uh, whether they're doing that uh, on purpose or winking at us, there's a certain element of this is going to be the ultimate villain. Um, And I think they do a very nice job of presenting Thanos in a way that you can see where he's coming from. He's got these certain uh, uh, beliefs about the world and what he has to do. Um, You can almost sympathize with him at at points, but he's quite monstrous. And and so in that sense, I do think they've accomplished something in giving us a, a real villain to grapple with. Well, terrific. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I'm talking with Micah Watson, who is a political science professor at Calvin College. And for Upstream, I'm your host, Bruce Edward Walker, and we'll talk to you next week. And that wraps up today's episode. If you'd like to learn more about the Acton Institute and what we do, visit our website at acton.org, where you can access Acton's official blog, bookshop, publication archives, and more. Lastly, if you have questions for the Acton Institute team that you would like answered in future segments of the podcast, leave us a message at 888-705-4180 or email us at rfa at acton.org. This episode was produced by Caroline Roberts and edited by Nathan Moore.